we are in our Defining Moments uh, collection of talks, I'm really calling it, not really a series, but more of a collection of talks. And the point of this um, sort of Defining Moments collection is to take a look at some of the people who walked most powerfully with God throughout the Old Testament and to really begin to look sort of um, deeper into their lives and go, what were the things or, or what was the defining moment that made them who they became? What was it that transpired? How did they become this person or this individual um, that was so powerfully used by God? So uh, this week we're looking at Exodus uh, 2, 3, and 4. I'm only gonna read a short passage from Exodus 3, verses 1 through eight, um, but we're looking at the life of Moses. And to really understand this, you'd have to look at Exodus 2, 3, and 4. You'd also have to look at Acts 7, 20 through 38, um, and then Hebrews 11, verses 23 to 28. I'm not going to read all those, but for your own study. Um, so here's what I want to do, though. I actually want us to, to take a look at the life of Moses, and, and I think what we'll begin to see in the life of Moses um, is almost a roadmap uh, that we could apply to our own lives. So what, what's fascinating to me about Moses is um, he lived 120 years. So the first 40 years, um, he lived in Pharaoh's palace, and then the second 40 years, um, he actually lived lives uh, out sleeping mostly on the ground, probably tending sheep. And then the third 40 years, he leads God's people out of the bondage of slavery in Egypt into the promised land. So he's one of my favorite um, characters. And he's actually one of my favorite biblical characters because he has such um, tremendous, uh, such a tremendous end to his story. But the beginning and the middle of his story is very tumultuous. He's a grand failure in many ways. Um, And so that's, that's really what we want to look at is what defined him, what, what made him um, who he was. So as I'm talking and as we're looking at the three or four points we're going to look at today, I would actually invite you um, to use this as sort of a, a roadmap or a lens by which you can let the Holy Spirit help you see into your own life and begin to go, where am I even in, in my own um, sort of journey? So uh, you know, it's also funny because I couldn't help but thinking um, when I was a kid, my sister Anna and my brother Peter, I'm, I'm the oldest, there you go, that, that's what's wrong with me probably. But we used to watch um, the movie, The Ten Commandments, and it was on like a VHS. I don't even think they make those anymore, but it was on a VHS, so we'd finish it, and then Peter and Anna would go up and put it in the, you know, press rewind and rewind it back to the beginning and, and watch it again. So it's fascinating here to be uh, preaching on Moses. So um, turn with me to Exodus 3, verses 1 through 8, and let's take a look um, at something that happens in the life of Moses. Now, bear in mind as we start reading this in, in chapter 3, um, he's 80 years old at this point. Um, so he is not a young man anymore, but, but here's how it goes. Verse, uh, Exodus chapter three, starting in verse one. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, who was his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and he came to Horab, uh, which is the mountain of God. There an angel of the Lord appeared to him in the flames of fire from within a bush that Moses saw 
Though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. And just an aside, but this is probably an acacia bush. It's a small bush, a highly insignificant bush, a common bush in sort of the brambling backcountry of of, um, the deserts of Israel. And I love uh, that God uses a small and insignificant bush sort of up on this mountain. And then verse three, um, it literally says, so Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight why the bush does not burn up. Imagine if he didn't go over. Imagine if uh, the, the living God, the fires of God sort of caught his eye, but he chose to shift his gaze and go on with the sheep. But, but no, no, he, he turns aside, he goes over to see this bush. Verse four, when the Lord saw that he had gone over to look. Now notice that, when the Lord saw that he had gone over to look. There's an indication there that, that had Moses not stopped, and turned and gone over to look at this bush, there's an indication that God may not have spoken to him. Fascinating. Let us be a people that is so um, dependent and aware of what the Holy Spirit of God is doing in our lives that when he shows up, we're willing to stop what we're doing, to turn aside, to go over and look. So verse four, when the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush. I love that God uses a bush. He uses a donkey in one story. God is a God that is not afraid to use the menial and the mundane. He gets down in the grit of sort of life with us. And here's what he said, Moses, Moses. And Moses replied, here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place where you're standing is holy ground. Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And at this, Moses literally hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. And the Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, almost 430 years at this point. And I'm concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, Holy Spirit, Father God, would you um, envelop us this morning? Would you speak to us this morning? Would you enliven our hearts, Lord? Would you not let us drift away? Would you even be like that burning bush on the side of the mountain? And would you get our attention? In the name of Jesus, we pray, amen. So, you know, I remember um, in high school, uh, the Lord got my attention. I was about 13 when he first really got my attention. I was, I was born and raised in a Christian home. Um, I gave my life to Jesus at four, but it was about 13 when I had this encounter with the Lord. And for the first time I went, man, I can um, walk with God powerfully now. And so I went on and, and did some ministry type things in middle school and in high school and in college over at UNCW. And it's interesting um, because my plan, I had, a, I had a great plan. My plan was to graduate uh, from UNCW with a, with a business and a communication and, and sort of leadership um, emphasis. And um, as soon as I graduated, um, I was gonna go to seminary. And as soon as I finished seminary, I was gonna come back to Wilmington and I was gonna plan a church. So in my mind, at, at an age about 24 or 25, I was going to plant a church. And um, in the middle of my college years, um, I got blindsided. 
And I spent a number of years um, sort of lost as a result of what happened. And I'm not gonna go into that, but here's the most important part. I spent um, a a number of years uh, sort of lost and the Lord uh, eventually reached in and and grabbed me. He got my attention and he began to move me back into a ministry track and a ministry direction. And um, eventually uh, it came time for me to plant a church. And what's interesting is I was so convinced as a young man, 16, 18, 20, that I would be planting a church by the time I was 24, 25 here in the city. Um, So that would have been like 03, 04, 05, somewhere in there where I thought we'd be launching. And I'd been even saving my money and flying around the country to look at all the people who were doing church the best, who were were succeeding sort of at preaching the gospel and reaching cities and changing environments. And and I had this, this plan that was so crystal clear. And then, I literally get blindsided and derailed and it's almost 15 years before I come back and start the journey of planting a church. And what's fascinating is we're only about 18 months old, salt boxes, but when the elders first came to me and they began to say, let's plant, why don't you pastor us? I actually um, argued with the elders. I went, I don't know enough and I'm not good enough and I'm not experienced enough and look at these years that were dark years in my life. I'm not prepared to um, pastor a church. And what's fascinating is eventually I sort of surrendered my heart and went, okay, Lord, Let's get back to the thing that you planted in my heart at such a young age. Now, I want us to look at the life of Moses because Moses was 40, his first 40 years, he was in Pharaoh's palace. And quick backstory um, on, on Moses, he was born Um, to a Hebrew mom and dad. And at that time, Pharaoh was concerned that the Hebrews in there that were enslaved were getting too powerful. And so he issued sort of an edict that all the uh, baby boys that were born would be killed. And so Moses' mom, not wanting him to be killed, put him in a basket and set him into um, the River Nile. And who was bathing in the River Nile but Pharaoh's daughter. And so Pharaoh's daughter, this basket comes by and Pharaoh's daughter opens this basket and there's a child inside. and, And she actually, names him Moses. And Moses' sister Miriam was nearby, probably hiding in the bulrushes at the side of the river, and literally uh, comes up so boldly, like a big sister would, to the daughter of Pharaoh and says, hey, do you want me to find a Hebrew woman to, um, be, to, to nurse this young guy? And Pharaoh's daughter had to know what was happening, but she said, absolutely. And so um, Miriam, Moses' sister, literally takes this baby and takes him to Moses' biological mom. And Moses' mom gets to spend the first probably couple years of of Moses' life with him legally. You know, every other boy that, that was of that age had been killed by Pharaoh. And yet here is Moses, his life has been preserved. And once he's weaned, then uh, Moses' mom brought him back into uh, to Pharaoh's daughter, and Pharaoh's daughter raised him as her son in the palace. So here's my first point is, you've got Moses the powerful, this, that's it. It's literally age one to 40. And the only way, if you look at Acts 7 and you look at Hebrews 11, the only way that you could fully uh, sort of understand or think about Moses is he had the absolute best of the best. 
He had what we would probably consider an Ivy League education. He was trained even as a warrior. He would have been like an equivalent of a modern day Navy SEAL. He would have been an athlete. He would have been beautiful. He would have been arrayed with all manner of armor and splendor. He was the, the darling of uh, Pharaoh's palace. It was literally Moses the warrior, Moses the magnificent, Moses the beautiful, Moses the flawless man, Moses the powerful. It even says Moses was an orator. He was a great speaker. Moses, the man of action. Moses, commanding the love and respect of all of Egypt. He was the resolute. He was the resourceful. He was the brave. He was the courageous. He was the desirable. And so I think probably what began to happen is Moses sort of um, started getting down inside of his head and his heart that he was great, that he was um, uh, special, that he was um, the gift, God's gift to the palace, to Egypt, and maybe even to the Hebrews. And so what's interesting is the second point I have here is called Moses the failure. So the first point is Moses the powerful. Second point is Moses the failure. And here's what happens. Um, Moses at some point has this sense. It's a, it's a God-given um, sort of sense that is probably stamped or pressed into his being that he is called to deliver his people. He knows he's an Israelite. And he knows that somewhere deep down in his spirit. And one day he goes out, he's 40 years old, and he sees an Israelite um, and an Egyptian um, fighting. And the Egyptian is really abusing the Israelite. And he comes out and sort of with this, um, I imagine it to be this, uh, this arrogance, he sort of assumes that he's gonna walk out and say, hey, stop, and everyone's gonna listen to him because they have for 40 years, right? He's the darling of the palace. And so he walks up to these two guys and he goes, hey, stop, and they refuse and he actually kills the Egyptian. And the scripture says he not only kills the Egyptian, but he buries the Egyptian in the sand. So what's fascinating to me is Moses at age 40, who really doesn't know God, he doesn't know Yahweh, that's the Old Testament name for God. He doesn't know, he knows he is an Israelite, but he also knows that he is called to be a part of delivering God's people from the Egyptians. And he does it in his flesh. He does it in the strength of his right arm. He does it in his own sort of um, what he can control and what he can see. And it's not too long, but he sees another argument between a few people and they say, what are you gonna do? Kill us like you killed the Egyptian. And Pharaoh finds out and Pharaoh comes after Moses to kill him. And Moses flees into the desert. So what we have first is Moses the powerful, age one to 40, and then enters Moses the failure. He, he literally takes a, a God-given life purpose into his own hands and he becomes an arrogant fool. Can I say that? He becomes literally, um, he, he thinks that he can do it in his own strength and, and he tries and he fails miserably. Moses, uh, it actually says in Acts 7.25 that he thought he was acting in accordance with his God-given life purpose. So really interesting because he's doing in some ways um, the right kind of thing. He's trying to deliver his Israelite brothers and sisters, uh, but he's doing it at the wrong time. He's doing it in the wrong way. He's taking it totally into his flesh. The gracious hand of God is not on it. And so Pharaoh comes to kill him and he runs away. So, which brings us to part three, Moses, the shepherd, and, and I also wanna call this part, and I call my entire message today, the, the, the loss of self-belief. 
And I wanna actually call this, this third point, Moses the shepherd. I, wanna, I want you to think of what happened in these next 40 years. This is Moses at age 40 to Moses at age 80 as, as sort of a 40 year chronic loss of self-belief. So it, it's, it's mind boggling because many times here in America, um, we spend so much of our time trying to help our kids uh, develop self-esteem and self-confidence and self-worth. And if they don't have those things, we wanna help them sort of develop it. And, and yet, when you get in the hands of the almighty God, he actually wants your self-belief totally surrendered to him. Now, God raises up some of the most confident and some of the most courageous and some of the most um, daring and audacious and even dangerous Christian leaders. He has throughout all time. And yet it never happens until they reach sort of this bankrupt state where they cannot do it in their own steam. They surrender it all, this sort of defining moment where they go, I can't do it. And, and God is like, he's standing there waiting, going, I've been waiting for you to come to this place. I've been waiting for you to get to this spot in your own life. So Moses literally becomes a man of the sheep. He literally is sleeping in a tent. He's out um, in the Israel countryside. He's tending sheep. He is hiking around. He is feeding sheep. He is uh, in front of no one. He is alone. And this, he's literally a foreigner. He's kind of an illegal alien. He, this does become his defining moment. He goes from being the very darling of Pharaoh's palace, the one who everyone loves and admires and adores, to being literally an outcast on the backside of the desert all by himself. He stinks. His beard is probably growing. He's a surly guy who is living amongst the sheep. So I would ask you this question, where is this defining moment in the life of Moses? And I would say it happens in the 40 years with the sheep. He has this chronic loss of self-belief. He'd be delivering new baby sheep. He'd be watering sheep. He'd be protecting sheep. He'd be carrying sheep around his neck. He'd be sleeping with the sheep. He would be feeding the sheep. He is literally learning to, to even fend off enemies from the sheep. He, everything is about... Um, the, the, the sheep, it's, it's literally what he's doing. I can't help but contrast King David. Think about King David. If you've not read some of that, you, you ought to. But King David um, literally was also trained by God through the use of sheep. It's fascinating. And after King David was anointed king, he actually lived in the caves for 15 years, give or take, before he actually became king. So God often impresses upon our hearts um, his purpose, his calling, but there's often many years that transpires before we're ready. So let me, let me back the train up here. Maybe you're at a spot in your life where you'd go, um, I actually resonate with Moses the powerful. Things are just good. I am young and I am in the charge of everything and everything is wonderful and I actually have a sense of what I'm called to do. I'd go, praise God, but get ready because you probably need to go through a season of preparedness. Maybe you're listening today and you'd go, you know what, I so resonate with Moses the failure because I'm trying to do something in my own strength and my own steam by myself and it has fallen miserably, it has fallen flat. I'm embarrassed and I'm ashamed and I've run and hid. That may be where you are today. You may also be listening and go, you know what, I can identify with Moses the shepherd who's in this lonely time, this dry time, this um, sort of mundane time, the ordinary, the stinky, the ugly. He's lost, he's lonely, he's confused. You know what's interesting? Because if, if Moses 
would have delivered the people at age 40. If God would have empowered him and he would have used him to deliver the people at age 40, Moses would have wanted to ride out of Egypt in the chariots going, you know, 30 miles an hour. But it literally says that when Moses finally delivered the people at age 80, when God used him to do that, that he set the pace of the multitudes by the weakest lamb and the slowest child. See, what Moses learned in this this defining time in the wilderness was actually how to pastor. He actually learned how to shepherd. He learned how to care for the weak and the broken and the helpless and the one who's been cast aside. He learned to tend to the marginalized. He learned to actually bind up and bandage a broken sheep. He learned how to carry them and tend to them and shear their wool and feed them and protect them. And God trained him. God defined him. Moses was defined by this season in the wilderness where he chronically lost sort of his self-belief for 40 years. God did his job so well over these years that Numbers 12, three actually says Moses was the most humble man on the face of the earth. So we have Moses, the powerful. We have Moses, the failure who who obeys his God-given call, sort of, but in the wrong way and in the wrong time. And then we have Moses, the shepherd, for 40 years. The next thing that I want to point out is Moses, the deliverer. So Moses, all of a sudden now, he's an old man. He's, He's 80 years old. And he's probably for the first time ready to have an encounter with the Almighty. He's ready to represent God. He's ready to wield the great power of the supernatural. I love Exodus 33, 11. It's one of my favorite verses because it says, the Lord would speak to Moses face to face as one speaks to a friend. You know, I think God is saying at this, in this passage we just read that Moses, now that you're 80 and you can't do it, you don't have the stamina or the strength, you don't have the self-confidence, you don't think of yourself as this mighty and this beautiful and this perfect one. Now that you are older, I can do it. So I actually want to take a look at, because I think we can find ourselves in this interaction that Moses has with God. It's in the latter um, part of chapter three and into into, um, chapter four. I'd encourage you to read it. But um, here's here's what happened. Um, At 80, uh, at 40, where Moses had been full of himself, at 80, Moses is too self-deprecating. He's almost insecure. He's an old man and he's like, I don't know that I can do it. And what I'd actually want to say to you today is pride um, and insecurity are two sides of the same coin. Pride um, is a self-focus and sort of a um, self-puffing up and aggrandizement. And insecurity is also a self-focus. You're going, I can't. Pride's going, I can. Insecurity's going, I can't. But both are literally... um, not uh, uh, giving God the credence and the freedom to work in you and through you. So we have Moses the deliverer who finally at age 80 is at a point where he is ready to be wholly dependent upon God. And if there was a time in Moses' life where you would go, where was the defining moment when he actually um, came to God or, or came to Christ is the way we would look at it? It would be here at 80 years old when this, this little acacia bush is on fire. And what's fascinating to me 
is um, Moses argues with God. I mean, God is speaking to him from a bush. The bush is on fire and the Almighty is saying, Moses, and he's saying, here am I. And he's saying, take off your sandals. You're standing on holy ground. I mean, Moses has gotta be totally freaking out. And yet the audacity of Moses, he argues with God, not once, not twice, not three times, not four times, but five times. And I wanna take a look at this because I think many of us have the same um, arguments with God. We have the same uh, moments of resistance where we doubt that he can use the likes of us. So let's look at the first one. Moses literally responds to him and says, who am I? I'm nobody, I'm an ordinary shepherd. So where he was prideful um, as a young man, he's now insecure as an old man. It's a self-focus rather than a God-focus. The second argument that Moses says is he goes, I'm ignorant, I, I don't even know. Who are you? What is your name? And it's fascinating here because God actually introduces himself as Yahweh. Um, it's a Hebrew verb and it means to be. It literally means I am. And when you think about God, his name is I am. It's, it's, it's present. So the first thing I, I would say that you, would, you would, should take away from this is God is literally a person. He's using the word I. It's a self-pronoun. It's a, he's a person that created heaven and earth. And then it's, he, he's eternal. I am. It's, it's I, I was, I am, I will be. He stands outside of time. And then the third thing is he is um, unique. There's no way to describe God except to say I am that I am. So God goes through this whole thing to tell Moses what to say. And then Moses responds a third time and argues with God and says, no, no, God, no, no, they won't believe me. And God says, essentially, Moses, I know. I'm gonna give you accompanying signs so that they know. The word of God uh, is not enough without the works of God. It's gotta be the word of God and, and the works of God that, that sort of testify and go along with it. So there's, there's three things that, that God gives Moses that I think we should look at. The first thing is he says, um, take your uh, rod. And a shepherd would have had a rod um, and a staff. And the staff was um, sort of a, a, a tool that was used, it had a crook on the end and it would have been used to help the sheep and to grab them and to love on them and to guide them. And the rod um, was, was an offensive tool. It actually could also be called a cudgel, but it had a big knob or a ball at the end and it was used as a weapon. And so God literally says, um, take your cudgel, take your staff and throw it down on the ground. And it immediately it becomes a snake and Moses runs away. I mean, he's like, oh. And then Moses, he calls, God calls Moses back and says, pick it up. And Moses picks it up and it becomes a staff. And the second thing God said to demonstrate to the people that God was with Moses, that God had called Moses to deliver them from Egypt and take them to the promised land was um, to, to take his cloak and to stick his hand inside. And when he stuck his hand inside and brought it out, it became leprous. God literally um, turned Moses' hand leprous and then he stuck it back in and he healed him, he cleansed it. And then the third sign that God gave him was to take a thing of water, water that gives life, water that you drink to live, water that you water crops with and feed animals with and pour it out and it becomes blood. And I think if I would say anything about all of this is you can actually see these are, these are implements like that cudgel is used against an enemy. This is the God that can bring life, but this is also the God that can bring death. This is a God that knows how to deal with his enemies. 
And still, after all these signs, he's standing in front of this bush and the bush is not burning up. He's saying, they won't believe me. The next thing he says is he says, I've got a speech impediment. Now, Acts literally says that Moses was eloquent. He was an orator. He was powerful. And then all of a sudden, he's arguing with God at this burning bush and going, I'm not eloquent. I've got a speech impediment. And so God sends his brother Aaron to speak. I think Moses lost that, by the way. I think Moses argued so much that Moses could have had the honor of speaking before Pharaoh and speaking before the Israelites, but he lost it because he argued with God. And the final thing that Moses said is he questions God's ability to call him and equip him and then God's authority to send him. Now, here's what I want you to look at. I think every single one of us struggles with similar insecurities, similar um, sort of self-focuses. Who am I? I mean, almost any time you ask someone to do something that is significant, you'll get this, who am I? I? I can't do that or I'm ignorant, or they won't believe me, or I've got something wrong with me. And I think the enemy, more than anything else, gets us as Christians hamstrung and keeps us from doing the very thing that God has created us and fashioned us to do because of our gross insecurity. Deuteronomy 34, verses 10 through 12. I love this, because this is one of the closing messages on Moses' life. It literally says, since then, no prophet has risen in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face, who did all those signs and wonders the Lord sent him to do in Egypt, to Pharaoh and to all his officials and to the whole land, for no one has ever shown the mighty power or performed the awesome deeds that Moses did in the sight of all Israel. Adam, would you head back up to begin to close us? But as we close this thing, I want you to make this personal. You can think of my story if you want. My story where I had my plan on when I'd plant a church and here I am some 15 years later, finally called to plant a church. And when I was finally called, I argued with the elders who called me. No, 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 I'm not ready. No, 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 I don't know enough. No, 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 I'm not good enough. No, 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 I don't, I'm, I'm no, 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 It goes on and on, doesn't it? But I'd urge you, to find yourself in this story. Maybe you are lonely, maybe you are alone, maybe you are feeling like you are lost in the desert, that you are insignificant. Moses was there for 40 years. God didn't forget him. God was gently helping him to the end of his self-belief. And at the end of that time, God appears in this burning bush and says, now you're ready. Now, go, now, go to Pharaoh and lead my people out of the bondage of slavery and in to the promised land. Listen to me, church. I'm not sure where you are in that roadmap. If you're in your area of confidence, if you're so broken and you feel lost, or maybe you're one of the few people who's at the back end where you feel fully empowered, like you're doing the right thing at the right time in the right way at the right place. But here's what I know, we serve a God who not only wants to impress upon you a significant purpose, but he wants to shape you and fashion you in such a way that you are equipped to carry it out. And until like Moses, we come to the place where we have lost our self-belief, 
where we have surrendered it all to King Jesus, where we've given it to him and said, Lord, would you take me, my little loaves, my little fish? Until we get to that point, he can't use us most powerfully.